0: You could tell July is coming to a close. We, uh, the announcements are picking up speed. I uh, actually have a couple of more even announcements to add. Uh, one very excited, uh, Jim Hahn, our former youth intern, is with us this morning. Welcome back, Jim. So if you know Jim, uh, please make sure you get to say hi to him, give him a hug this morning, welcome him back. And then a much more bittersweet announcement. Um, our friends Adam and Kirsten Gentry and their wonderful family are staying in New Braunfels, but will be moving their church membership to Christ Church San Antonio, where uh, Kirsten's mother and father and sister and family all worship. And uh, even though they have loved the family at Hope, it's hard to compete with blood family, isn't it? And the the wonderful draw of being able to worship together with their family, the Lord is calling them in that way. And Adam and Kirsten, we want to just tell you how important you've been to us and how thankful we are for your presence. And may the Lord bless you in your next move. So thank you. If you guys get a chance today, please uh, give them a warm goodbye. Okay, we are uh, pretty close to finishing up, actually, our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we are today going to talk about faithfulness. And we're going to talk a lot about God's faithfulness today, and that's on purpose. Because remember, the fruit of the Spirit, the the kind of running analogy we've used, is that we're talking about a tree with its roots down deep producing good fruit from the inside— rather than something like a Christmas tree where all of it's fake fruit on the outside with a dying tree on the inside, right? So to actually produce fruit, we have to be attached to the source, attached to the Lord. We see the Holy Spirit actually produce fruit in us. So if you want to see more fruit in your life, it's actually probably the best thing to do rather than focusing on the fruit to focus on the source. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to look at a passage from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations is in the Old Testament, just after Jeremiah. Uh, If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Don't be afraid to use the table of contents. That's what it's there for. And I'm going to read a pretty big chunk of Jeremiah chapter 3 this morning. It's also on the screen above my head if you'd like to follow along there. So here's Jeremiah chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. He's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He's turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver, I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord So remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continuously remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there he may hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. We've got a new response this morning. It's on the, on the screen, so let's make sure we do it right. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your word does stand even hard words like the ones we just read. We ask that you would transform us by your word this morning and by the power of your spirit, that we might come to know your faithfulness more deeply so that we might uh, increase our faith in you. We pray that you would do this in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read you the words to begin of a... Avid Brothers song. The Avid Brothers, a folk rock band who, by the way, likes to play at Whitewater Amphitheater, if you ever want to go see them. This is a song called True Sadness. I still wake up shaken by dreams, and I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to feel a few, peel a few layers, and you'll find true sadness. Adam and Eve must have done a, poor, done a number on that garden when the apple was finished, leaving behind them a den made of sadness, a damage that can't or won't be replenished. Because I still wake up shaken by dreams, and I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to peel a few layers, and you'll find true sadness. True sadness. True, true sadness. Now, for some of you, um, that, that may not be new. In fact, there may be some of you that uh, had a hard time hearing those words that I read from Lamentations 3. Boy, those first 18 verses are just a punch in the gut, aren't they? And you've known real sadness. You've known pain like that. And maybe even just listening to those words was painful to bring up those memories. The author, the poet here, Chapter 3 of Lamentations is a poem. The poet and the author typically, historically, has been thought to be Jeremiah. If it's Jeremiah, then Jeremiah has a lot of great reason for sadness. He's actually watched Jerusalem be destroyed. He's watched his people get uh, not only conquered by an enemy conqueror, but actually taken away into that enemy land in Babylon. And Jeremiah is not only expressing his own sadness, but he's giving voice to the sadness of those who will read this poem, who might recite this poem, who might sing it, who might join in. That's what lament is actually meant to do, to give voice to the things that we feel and experience and oftentimes can't voice ourselves. But there's a big question here when we enter into times of sadness, of pain, of discomfort. It's what are the conclusions that we draw? And there's one conclusion I think that's easy sometimes for our culture to draw, maybe easy for our own hearts to draw, and that's that God is sometimes apart from us. He's checked out. He's kind of left the building. I mean, listen to the words of yet another Avett Brothers song. This is a song called, I Should Have Stayed Home With My Family, where he reflects on yet another morning waking up to a mass shooting. I woke up very early, like I tend to do most days, gathered up my clothes, my watch, and pocket knife. It would be almost an hour before the sun would show its face, and I tried to be quiet so as not to wake my wife. Turning on my phone was the first mistake I made. My heart sunk when I read the first headline. There had been another shooting, and this time not so far away, and the child who lost his life looked an awful lot like mine. I sat there in the dark for I don't know how long without the first idea of what to do. I walked into the kitchen and turned the coffee maker on and stood there feeling hopeless and staring at the moon. And when the house got lively, I was working double time, scrambling eggs and trying not to cry. Jennifer was getting Isaac dressed and packed for school, and I was wondering when God left and why he didn't say goodbye. That's a natural conclusion for a lot of people to come to when you're faced with tragedy, either in your own life or looking out and seeing tragedy in the world, is that maybe God is absent. Maybe he's left the building. Maybe he decided to leave and not say goodbye. Friends, what I want us to get this morning, in fact, if you don't get anything else, get this, is that even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of true sadness and of deep pain, God is present. He is present and he is faithful. You know, Woody Allen famously said that uh, 90% of success in life is showing up. You could say that about faithfulness, too. Really, 90% of faithfulness involves simply just being present, showing up. And God actually is present in this passage. It's a little hard to see it sometimes. But Jeremiah is actually presenting to us a faithful God who's present in the midst of our hardest times. And we're going to look at at three ways that God is faithful here. And the first two are not all that fun, I'm just going to warn you, okay? We're going to first see uh, God's faithfulness, the faithful God who is present even when it's hard because he's present actually as the sobering judge. We'll see God present as the faithful but oftentimes painful doctor, the sobering judge, the painful doctor. And then we'll see God present as the faithful and always loving father. Let's look at that first one. God is present as the faithful but often sobering judge. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were listening again to those really difficult words in the first 18 verses of Lamentations 3, you were hearing a lot of images about difficulty. And all those images are ways that, again, this poet is painting a picture of how hard life is. But they're also images that have resonance throughout the Bible. And in fact, many of these images that Jeremiah draws on are images of judgment other places in the Bible. Things like darkness, being void of light, it's an image of judgment in the Bible. Things like chains, right? The idea of being put in a cell and being chained up and being bound, that's an image of judgment in the Bible. Even that idea of the bow, God's bow actually being pulled back and aimed at those that he is rightfully taking aim at in his judgment. Now listen, we live in a time and a place where that word is a really hard one for us. It's not fun to hear that idea of judgment. In fact, we oftentimes don't know what to do with it. We don't like it. But my argument for you this morning is that even though we don't like it, we want God to be the judge. Because if we have a God who does not judge unrighteousness, then we have a God who is not just. And if we have a God who is not just, friends, we, we better not be here. Because he's not a God who's worth worshiping. It's interesting, isn't it, that um, if you go to a sporting event, nobody cheers when the referees come out. They don't get to run through the tunnel, do they, or kind of break through some sort of sign. Nobody stands up and cheers for the refs. But you need the refs there, because without them, the game just kind of devolves into either just absolute chaos or endless arguments. You actually need somebody to enforce the rules. You need justice or it's not going to work. I had coffee with Adam and Kirsten the other day, and they were actually telling me about New Zealand, where they used to live, where there are no civil lawsuits. In fact, you don't even have to carry liability car insurance in New Zealand. So if you hit somebody else with your car, you just say, sorry, bro, hope it goes well for you. And if somebody does something difficult to you if somebody takes your stuff or breaks your stuff or let's say you fall out of a tree. Well, the government actually has a solution for it. They actually allow you to claim accidents and the government will pay you to make right on that accident. The government will actually give you money to fix your broken arm or your broken car or your broken house. And listen, on the surface, it sounds kind of awesome. I mean, no frivolous lawsuits, no ambulance chasers, no 444 commercials? It kind of sounds like a great world, doesn't it? Until something really bad happens, until somebody does something really terrible to someone else, and of course the government says, great, we'll give you some money to fix that, there may be restitution, but there's not actually justice done. If the person who committed the crime isn't paying for the crime, there's not really justice. And to live in a world without justice is to live in a world without hope. Listen to what the author, pastor, bishop, N.T. Wright says about justice and judgment. The word judgment carries negative overtones for a good many people in our liberal and post-liberal world. We need to remind ourselves that throughout the Bible, God's coming judgment is a good thing. Something to be celebrated, longed for, yearned over. It causes people to shout for joy in the trees of the field to clap their hands. In a world of systematic injustice, bullying, violence, arrogance, and oppression, the thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and the weak are given their due is the best news there can be. Faced with a world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. So friends, even though it is oftentimes unsettling, it is actually good to see God show up here in this passage in the midst of Jeremiah's deep sadness as the judge who will actually make things right. All right, let's look at the second one. This one's also a little unsettling. It's that God is present as the faithful but oftentimes very painful doctor. Now, what do I mean by that? I'll flip over if you've got your Bible, all the way to the end of what I read, to verse 32. Let me read it for you again. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart. What an incredible, full statement that is. Let's take the first half of that. For though he caused grief... Though he caused grief, maybe you noticed even listening to those first 18 verses something that probably made you feel very strange inside. All of the things that are going on that Jeremiah tells us that he's experiencing, the darkness, the chains, the feelings of being attacked by a lion or a bear, the feeling of being shot in an arrow through his liver, it's very vivid. Who's the perpetrator here? Who's the person who's actually doing these things? It's the Lord, isn't it? It's weird to feel that, to hear Jeremiah say, it's the Lord, it feels like he's attacking me. And we read right here is that he does actually sometimes cause grief, and that can be hard for us to get our head around. But we need to understand not only the small picture of feeling that grief, but also the big picture of what God is doing in the world. Now let's look small picture really quickly and let me give you a little bit of background again on what's happening here with Jeremiah. If you've got a Bible you can flip it over actually to 2nd Chronicles. The very end of 2nd Chronicles, one of our history books in the Bible, tells us of this event that Jeremiah is actually lamenting. I'll start reading in verse 15. It's not on the screen so you can just listen if you don't have a Bible. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on their dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God and despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against the people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary, and he had no compassion on the young man or the the virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all that he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and they broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and they burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. What the chronicler there describes is what happens in the destruction of Judah. Judah is that Babylon comes, Nebuchadnezzar and his folks come, and they break down the wall of this fortified city, and they kill thousands and thousands of people. They go to the temple of the Lord, and they not only take out all of the holy things, but they actually burn the temple. The the place where God had said that he very particularly, in a very mysterious way, would dwell with his people would be there. The temple, the the center of the worship life of all of Israel, the place that you would actually travel to from around the country four times a year to come and worship, is burned. And those who didn't get killed are actually taken away to be slaves in Babylon. And did you hear the end of that? (laughs) To fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the mouth of Jeremiah. God had told Jeremiah what was going to happen. He had called Jeremiah to warn the king and the people to repent so that it wouldn't happen. They didn't. And now what was told would happen has happened, and Jeremiah has seen it. Can you imagine that kind of pain? To be told ahead of time this kind of terrible destruction will happen, and then to have to witness it all happening. Jeremiah is deeply, deeply wounded. He has seen his people and his place and the things most important to him be taken away. That's the small picture. But there is a bigger one. And we see it actually in Jeremiah chapter 29. If you've got a Bible, you can flip over there. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. This is what the Lord tells Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord... I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. See, the big picture that we get here is what we read here at the end of verse 33. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion, for he does not afflict from his heart. The Bible tells us that God's heart is not to afflict. God's heart is not to instill pain. His heart is actually to heal. And so like the good doctor who has the big picture in mind, whose heart is actually to heal, he actually has to do sometimes things that are painful in order to meet those ends. Like somebody who's restoring a glorious old building. Sometimes you got to scrape away a lot of those layers of paint or replace a lot of the rotten wood. You've got to do a lot to make that beautiful project actually come to fruition. And God is doing this not just with his people there through Jeremiah, and he's doing it not just in the whole world, right? God says that he's making all things new, that the world is his restoration project, but he's also doing that in our hearts individually. And it can be really painful to be shaped into the image of Christ. But that is the Lord's goal, to shape us into the image of his Son so that we might be sanctified, so that we might be presented to him as holy, so that we might actually change. And friends, change often hurts. I got to experience this actually with my friend Brett Perry the other day. You can see I'm wearing this Uh, Jim called it my fashion boot, yeah, Uh, on on my leg because I I messed up my ankle playing basketball, probably doing something I shouldn't shouldn't have done. And I got to go to Brent, actually, for some therapy the other day. And as I was joking with Brent over text beforehand about this being painless, he actually sent me a text that said, painless and ineffective are virtual synonyms. How about that to instill some confidence in you before you go to therapy? But isn't it true? So oftentimes painless and ineffective pretty much mean the same thing and he was true in both accounts. It was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. There were times truly where I was laughing because I think my brain just didn't know how else to process what was going on. So what came out was just laughter. But also what came out was reduced swelling and more flexibility and better range of motion and more ability to put weight on my ankle. His heart was not to hurt me, his heart was to heal me. That is what the Lord is doing here in Lamentations 3. It's hard, it's painful, it's rough to read even. But God is present because he is faithful and loving. All right, let's get to the good stuff, y'all ready for that? Verse 18 through 24 is really the center of this poem, and it's the best news we could find. You know, oftentimes in our kind of poetry, we put the important stuff either at the beginning or the end, but actually in their poetry, they put it right right smack dab in the middle. So right here at the heart, at the center of this poem, is actually the main point. I'm going to read these verses one more time for you because they're so good. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, verse 19, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continuously remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. I just want to focus on two of those words that are in there. The one that we translate with two words, steadfast love, is remember one word in Hebrew. It's that really important word we've talked about many times, hesed. It's God's faithful, loving, merciful, covenantally bound love to his people. It is overflowing love that is never earned, but always given. That is God's incredible, faithful love to his people. And what does Jeremiah says he remembers? That's the first thing out of his mouth, his steadfast love. And then how about this one? My translation says, uh, compassion's Sorry, my translation says mercies. Yours may say compassions in verse 24. His mercies never come to an end or his compassions never come to an end. That's also a very interesting word in Hebrew, Hebrew because other places that word in Hebrew can mean womb. So it actually has the feeling of motherly or parental kind of love. So you combine that, right, with God's steadfast, never-ending, covenantally-bound love and mercy and this idea of a parental, motherly kind of movement toward a child, and you get something incredible right at the heart of this passage. The never-ending faithfulness of the Lord that is new every morning. What a beautiful phrase that is. You know it's an act of faith, actually, to go to bed. Have you ever thought about this? To actually lay down and go to sleep is an act of faith because you're doing a couple things. You're first of all trusting that the Lord is going to be at work when you're not and that he's going to wake you up in the morning. And when he does so, we get the beautiful opportunity to see new for ourselves, not new for the Lord, that he is still faithful, that he is still steadfast, that his mercies are new every morning. If you're a parent, you probably can remember some of those times that maybe you'd rather not remember when your child was very young and it felt like every 45 minutes like you were being shelled by some enemy combatant where your child would cry from the other room and you would get up on the hour every hour to come in and see what was going on with your child. Terrible, terrible night. But you may not remember what our children hopefully will is that that morning when the child wakes up and it's time, even though you have been beaten to a pulp and are tired as 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 you've ever been, when you walk in and you see your child standing up in the crib and looking at you, you can't help but smile, can you? Because that's what parents do. That's what loving mothers and fathers do. They come in and they see their child no matter how long the night was because their mercies are new every morning. When you are drawn to your child like that. And friends, that is the way that the Lord is drawn to us. (laughs) Even though we spend most of our nights yelling and screaming and kicking and throwing fits, is the Lord whose mercies are new every morning. So let's just talk really quickly about how we respond. How do we respond to God's faithfulness? Well, the first and biggest piece Is what it means for us actually to be faithful to the Lord in return. And again, remember our Woody Allen quote 90% of success in life is showing up. So let's just start with that. A lot of it is showing up. Showing up to the Lord in just regular devotion, showing up to the Lord in worship, showing up to the Lord in community actually putting yourself in front of the very easy things that God says, hey, if you want to get to know me, if you want to experience my grace, if you want to know my love, here it is. Here's my word. You can go and buy one at any bookstore. Here's my people. Come and gather with them. Here is my table where you can come and be refreshed. Here is actually an open door in prayer to me. So show up and take it. And then secondly, show up with others be with people when they're hurting, when they're going through the first 18 verses of Lamentations 3, simply to be around is actually really important. Of course, we do this fueled by the love of Jesus who faithfully endured all of those things that we just heard listed. Darkness, chains, literal arrows that pierced into his side or spear that pierced into his side, the death that we should have died, Jesus actually faithfully showed up to take it for us. Friends, you and I can't do that on our own. And Jesus has done it for us. And so for us actually to be faithful people, to see the Spirit produce the fruit of faithfulness in our lives, we have to depend on Jesus every day, every moment, every morning. And how beautiful that his mercies are new each one of those mornings. Let's pray. Good and faithful Father, thanks for this window into your faithfulness here in Lamentations 3. Uh, Even though that window is covered with a lot of difficulty, with a lot of pain, with a lot of trials, it's encouraging to us because we go through similar things. So Lord, we ask that you, by the power of your Spirit, would encourage us to cling to you in faithfulness when we go through difficulty, and when we go through beauty. Show us, Lord, more and more your faithfulness so that we might respond in turn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.